Bible Speaks with Audley McLean. The Bible Speaks is a weekly ministry of Harvest International. Our prayer is that the Bible Speaks will encourage you in your study of God's Word. You will be able to contact Audley at the address given at the end of this broadcast. And now, here's Audley. With a sense of anticipation and joy, I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are continuing on our little journey of the propagation of the good news, which we began by pointing to the cradle, onto the cross, onto the resurrection and the Mount of Olives and the ascension of the Lord Jesus. And we broke down this marvelous journey into eight groups or eight categories. And we have been on the last one for the last few weeks and we'll continue to talk about the propagation aspect. That is when you and I, and of course they who began it in the book of Acts, take the message of Jesus Christ to a dying world. I realize that Christianity, the gospel, Bible-believing people, are in a quandary, in a grand mixture of quasi-Christianity, to bona fides. And my mission, in fact, my only mission for the rest of my broadcast ministry is to call the church to account. And we began this journey in the book of Acts suggesting that Dr. Luke, who wrote the gospel and then took up his pen and wrote the book of Acts, he used these words. I wrote to you concerning all that Jesus began to do and teach. And I suggested to you, and I'm not alone, I think it's a common belief of Bible scholars that the book of Acts is an action book that continues its ministry in the life of the church today. I want us to consider it in three phases. The earliest propagators of the gospel were people consecrated to God in Jesus Christ. There were people committed to the gospel ministry of our Lord Jesus. And there were people who were centered on the message and the centrality of Jesus Christ. And and they were subject to divine intervention and divine movement in their lives. Today, we see ourselves as part of the continuation of what Dr. Luke describes. He does it like You and I ought to be involved. The book of Acts is our platform from which we have been looking at this early propagation of the ministry. It's a model for the church and we plan to remain in that book of Acts today and for the foreseeable future. And then we should ask ourselves today, I'd like us to ask ourselves the first of those three propositions. What would it look like? to be a consecrated Christian. What would it look like to be a consecrated Christian? 
how does it look to be, well, what is consecration anyway? Almost always when we use the word consecration, we think it defines being given wholly over to God or to our God in some cases. When used in the Bible and among the Jewish people and in the Christ followers community, people now called Christians, we are speaking of persons or things wholly given to Jehovah God. So how do we decide? How do you decide? How do we determine what it looks like to be wholly consecrated to our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the embodiment of the Godhead? In Old Testament times, as the children of Israel were coming out of the bondage of Egypt and across the wilderness, and especially during the leadership of Moses, and by extension, the development of the nation of Israel, there was instruction from Jehovah through these dedicated servants of God that certain instruments were to, and certain people were to consecrate themselves and to consecrate a variety of things related to the worship of Almighty God. These material things and these representative priestly actions were foreshadows of what God would do and demand in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Their consecration involved precise acts of worship, and even the vessels used in carrying out divine worship were set apart, consecrated, set apart from all other vessels in their possession. Similarly, God who spoke through Moses and the prophets now speaks to us in Christ Jesus. God who in many ways and through various people spoke in time fast unto the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken unto us in himself. All who name the name of Christ must be consecrated to him. But that act of consecration is sometimes demonstrated more obviously, more significantly, more noticeably in the lives of some specific believers whose lifestyles and actions literally set them apart. But they aren't the only ones called upon to be consecrated. While none of us is qualified to judge or determine who is and who is not truly consecrated, there are evidences in the lives of some people which almost scream at us and suggests to us that there is a person who is showing evidence of consecration to the Lord. I believe God the Holy Spirit does that in you, gives you that vision, that sense of awareness, and even the ungodly sometimes can notice that something is evident in the life of a co-worker, in the life of a preacher, in the life of a bus driver, in the life of the office manager. Something specific and particular is coming out of their life because of their consecration to Jesus Christ. They stand that many in this book of Acts, in the first century Christianity, took bore evidence of the fact that they were abandoned, consecrated to Jesus Christ, that nothing could move them. They were sold out. 
Take, for example, the unflinching defense of the good news of the life, death, burial, and triumphant resurrection of Jesus Christ, which Peter took on the very day that the Holy Ghost had descended upon them and the church gathered in prayer in the prayer room and spilled over into the streets and a mighty Holy Ghost God-sent movement began. But he stood before these people, among whom were people who he knew, I'm sure, were not friends of Jesus Christ. There were people there who were religious bigots, perhaps people from the Roman God, looking on, trying to find something that they might shut this message down. And my friend, because he was a consecrated, dedicated disciple of Jesus Christ and a follower, Peter was willing to risk his life. He was willing to risk his safety. That's what consecration does for you, for me, for anyone. Holy sold out to Jesus Christ. In the book of Romans, that sort of consecration is identified. It's called for as an act of worship. What that passage suggests is that real worship is an act of consecration. And the real consecration is an act of worship. Let's read from the passage. Romans chapter 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is, this is your true and proper worship. Oh, it puts a whole new spin on worship, doesn't it? He says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Oh, my friend, so much in that exhortation looks like consecration to me. How about you? I think you will agree that offering one's body as a sacrifice by he or she is still alive, paints a picture of God in total control. Please note that this is not a demand for just people in some sort of spiritual hierarchy. It is addressed to brothers and sisters. Do you get the feeling that it is addressed to ordinary believers, people just like you and me? In fact, right at the beginning of this book of Romans, Paul makes it clear he says, I'm writing to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. So it is to God's people, to you, to those believers, and to us, that this is written. Dear friend, the call of God to be consecrated is a call that includes holiness. Holiness is not demonstrated by how big your Bible is or how ornate the vestments that you wear are. It's not the cross around your neck or any function that you perform. Consecration and holiness are determined for ordinary people. The pastor can't be your substitute. The parish priest cannot take your place. It's personal. It is distinctly personal. When the congregation of Israel and or the priests fell from holiness, God had a provision for their restoration. Thank God when Jesus paid the price for our sins, he also made room for our restoration to holiness when sin overcomes us. 
In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we read, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all, from all unrighteousness. The consecrated person looks like someone who knows from within that Jesus Christ is Lord and our Heavenly Father wants us clean as we boldly declare Jesus to the world around us, as we propagate the gospel. The church in the book of Acts looked like consecrated people. The people in Acts chapter 1, chapter 2, their ID read, filled with the Holy Spirit. So if we want to be effective propagators of the good news that Jesus died and rose on our behalf and is open for business in our schools, in our workplaces, in our homes, then we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. That takes time with God. Oh, God wants a Holy Spirit-filled church, a Holy Spirit-filled person today to come on bended knee because there's room. There's room at the cross for you. Till next week, your friend Audley McLean saying, let God work his consecration through your life. Remember, there's room at the cross for you. The cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which you can hide. And his grace so free is sufficient for me. Oh, there's room at the cross for me. I've wandered far away from God. This program is cared for by listeners who care. Your prayers and financial investment in this ministry helps to keep the good news on the air. We look forward to hearing from you and invite you to write us at Harvest International, Post Office Box 6690, Ocala, Florida, 34478. Again, that's Harvest International, Post Office Box 6690, Ocala, Florida, 34478.